Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Mike, as a healthcare attorney who works with physicians and health systems, I would say no one knows better than you do just how many crises can befall a healthcare organization. Is that a fair assumption? Oh, let us count the ways, Tothi. It's <laughs> unbelievable. There's never-ending variety of misfortune that can befall people. Uh, and I certainly seem to have a front row uh, seat on it. From things that are basic, like breaches to an emergency preparedness type of things, onto the more salacious type of things. Um, that, well, give me an you know, example of that. Oh, oh, no, not on your life. Things <laughs> that I wouldn't let my mother hear me say. Um, but have my full attention when people call in. There's lots of bad behavior out there, Tothi. Well, your, your job sounds a lot more interesting than mine. It puts a spring in my step. Let me say that. Smile. <laughs> Get on you to face. work every day. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. But, you know, today our guest on Sound Practice is going to talk about how to manage crisis situations. And certainly, given the COVID-19 situation. This is a timely topic. But honestly, Tothi, this is one of these evergreen topics that physician leaders and managers always should be preparing for. I absolutely agree. They should prepare for them, learn from them. I mean, what is it that Rahm Emanuel has said? Never let a good crisis go to waste, right? I think that that's pretty close to the direct quote. Something like minus that. A few, yeah, minus a few expletives uh, from Rahm Emanuel. <laughs> from Rahm, but, yes. But you're, but you're absolutely uh, correct. We can learn from every crisis, whether it's a natural disaster or uh, a high-producing surgeon that decides to pull up stakes and leap. Although learning from a crisis is important, preparing for the next one is probably even more important. Yeah, I, I would say I would agree with that. And um, that is what Max Reibolt and I talked about uh, during our conversation. And I had a wonderful interview with him. Well, you certainly had someone good. Max is the president and CEO of the Coker Group, and he's had a long career in healthcare. Mm -hmm. He has seen the, the good, the bad, and certainly the ugly of a crisis management. And he's here to share a lot of that experience with our listeners today. Yes, he is, and we're going to get right to that as soon as we do word of the show. Then we'll get to oh, Max. So is that oh, okay great. with you? Yeah, oh, great. Lay it on me, Tothi. Okay, well, actually, today's word of the show is a phrase of the show. Um, you know that I love food and food history, and I happen to be reading Bon Appetit recently, and there was an interesting piece on the origin of the phrase, in a pickle. Oh, right. The, it's kind of the old school way of saying being stuck in a difficult situation, right? Code for crisis. Yes, code for crisis. Exactly. So um, there were several different uh, possible origins that this author was talking about, including one from Shakespeare. But both of those origins stories were ruled out um, because they decided the reference was more about um, the pickle being a metaphor for sauced, like, you know, wasted, drunk, than problematic in some way. So they decided that's not the origin. I, I'm reading the wrong material. This sounds fascinating yeah. to me. And the whole idea of Shakespeare trying to weave pickle into iambic pentameter <laughs> is, um, is a mind bender. Yeah, exactly. But, but please go ahead, Nat. You, you've got me totally absorbed in the origin. Okay. So the author concluded in his piece about the pickle, um, in a pickle, is that to understand the origin of this phrase, in a pickle, as in, in a difficult situation or crisis, is to understand how the British used the word pickle. So I don't know if you knew this. I actually didn't. 
a pickle to the Brits is what we consider um, relish, like hot dog oh. relish, you know, that sloppy, sure. chopped Green up stuff, vegetable yeah. pickle sauce, um, right. which I love sweet relish personally. So <laughs> with that context in mind, like the veggies in the relish, if you're in a pickle, you're in a state of jumbled disarray. <laughs> Sadly, much like leaders during a crisis, right? Bingo. Exactly right. Well, very good, Tothi. It's not even lunchtime, and now you're making me hungry for a hot dog. <laughs> now, let's listen to uh, your conversation with Max Reibel about how leaders can prepare for crisis and lead their teams out of a pickle, so to speak, with great success. Joining me in the virtual studio today is Max Reibolt, president and CEO of the Coker Group. And the Coker Group is an advisory firm that's been helping hospitals, health systems, and physician groups achieve their business goals for more than three decades. They have about 100 consultants. And Max, we've had you on the program in the past. You were terrific in your conversation about uh, compensation, I think it was. And we're thrilled to have you back as our guest today. Welcome to Sound Practice. Well, thank you, Cheryl. It's an honor to be here and uh, looking forward to our discussion today. It's uh, very much needed, in my opinion. Yes, yes. Well, let me tell folks a little bit about you before we jump in. Um, in your position and how long you've been in the healthcare industry, you've really experienced everything. And uh, I think that's really equipped you to provide pertinent counsel to the clients and organizations you work with of all sizes and all across the country. And uh, you focus on the strategic and tactical and financial and management issues that health systems and physicians face in today's marketplace, which is constantly evolving and changing. And um, I'm sure, Max, in your career, you've experienced a number of clients who've had, had to handle a crisis. And that's mm -hmm. why we've asked you here today. Um, in addition, it's important we note that um, Max and, and your team, you all of you, are working on a book uh, collaboratively um, in partnership with the American Association for Physician Leadership on crisis management. So that'll wow. be coming out uh, at some point in the near future. Mm -hmm. So the COVID-19 pandemic has really brought to light, I think, the reality of how many healthcare organizations aren't well prepared for large scale crisis or managing crisis. And we're not going to focus on COVID today, but it's relevant. Our conversation is relevant, right, to the current <laughs> pandemic. And but it you know, it covers any kind of crisis. And I thought maybe we, a lot of our conversation will focus on how people can be prepared for the next crisis. And um, I'm sure you've also got some examples of which clients have done well under COVID, managed well, and which have, mm -hmm. could have done better. So those stories are always interesting to us. But let me start, Max, and ask you, I mean, what do you believe are the characteristics of leaders who thrive in crisis? I mean, what makes a great crisis manager? Great question, and um, I will say this, Cheryl, as, and thank you very much for that introduction, but um, as consultants, it seems like most of the time when we're contacted, not always, but many times, uh, it's by a client that is in a bit of a crisis. In other words, they don't need folks like us until they're in a crisis, so we'll explore that a little bit more as we go through our discussion today, but to get back to your question more so, the, the leadership good leadership within a crisis and this may sound a little bit corny but uh, is is the same as good leadership outside of a crisis hope that makes sense mm -hmm. because uh, a leader 
is a leader under any circumstances. So let's let's break that down just a little bit. Uh, and, and, and I'll be specific to crisis situations as, as you asked, but a good leader really uh, understands his organization, his, his or her people. Uh, they they uh, have planned ahead, hoping for the best, but frankly, uh, anticipating possibly the worst. Uh, they always are on their guard for uh, downturns for challenges and issues. And as a result, uh, a leader who excels in a crisis situation is, is really no different than one who will most likely excel during good times, if you will, or non-crisis situations. Um, and, and the mere definition of crisis is another thing that we're going to explore in our book in partnership with uh, APL here shortly, and, and that is, um, for example, let's just say we're, it's a medical practice. Let's say it's an orthopedic practice, and uh, uh, everything's seemingly going pretty well, and then all of a sudden, you lose your uh, PA for one of your prominent surgeons and your nurse. They both leave at the same time. That's a crisis, believe me. That's a crisis, yeah. because uh, uh, you're without maybe that most productive surgeons and we all know orthopedic surgeons are extremely easy to please and so forth. <laughs> I'm saying that tongue in cheek, of course. And, and so, you know, you have to prepare as a leader of that practice to say, okay, uh, let's stay calm. Let's assess the situation we planned and we have ulterior or, or uh, alter, I should say alternate uh, ways to address the issue. So that's really what a good leader does during a crisis is maintain the leadership of calmness mm -hmm. and, and uh, exert that level of confidence down through the entire organization that, look, we'll get through this. It, it may not be easy. It, there may and will be some challenges, but that's what we're going to do. And you know what? I'm going to be with you as a leader. I'm not going off to wherever. I'm not going to sit in my office. I'm going to get there into the trenches, as it were, with you, and we're going to do this together. And believe me, the folks will rally, will rally around you and will really uh, respond, in my opinion, during whatever crisis that might be. So I, I think that's uh, the best way to approach this um, as such. Well, and where have you seen physician leaders fall short? You know, what should leaders not do? Those are great characteristics of a, a good leader, as you've just shared, but where have you seen folks fall short? Well, I think, uh, unfortunately, many times when we're faced with crisis situations, even as leaders, physician leaders or, or, or non-physician leaders, we tend to think the worst. We tend to uh, think of the glass being half full as opposed, I mean, half empty as opposed to half full. And, and we really, uh, in many cases, and, and this is fairly typical of very highly trained, highly competent physician leaders, they feel that, you know what, I can do this myself. You know what, I've been through, I've been through medical school. I've been through a lot worse situation than this, and I will just make it happen myself. Mm -hmm. And they forget that there's a team underneath them that was 
more than willing and frankly, some cases, maybe even more capable. So I think some of that takes effect. I think there's also sometimes a, a little element of panic. Oh no, we're going to fail. Uh, we're not only not going to hit our numbers, we're going to, you know, half the people are going to walk out, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think those that fall short are those that panic, that really don't uh, aggregate their team together and make it a very uh, co uh, collaborative effort to address the issue. You know, uh, teams that uh, have the greatest talent in the world, I'm talking about sports teams now, are not always the winners. It's typically those that work together as, a, as truly a team and the leadership uh, is, is, you know, obviously maybe if it's a football team from, coming from the quarterback, but, you know, those linemen are behind that quarterback and, and they're right there in sync with him. So that's what really uh, often falls short is, uh, and, and we see this a fair amount with physicians who are very independent, very, you know, they grew up being trained to kind of make it on their own, if you know what I mean. It takes a lot to get to medical school in and of itself. And, and so they, they tend to have a little bit of that mentality in the first place and they do that leadership team spirit that uh, I personally believe is needed during a crisis. Well, and to that end, and I, I agree with you, I mean, there's, there's a sense of independence in so many physicians in their way they're trained. For those who are um, maybe not been through a crisis or are new to leadership, what would you suggest in terms of them asking for help from the team? Because I think that is kind of the tough, tough part. How do they bridge that gap and reach out in a way that's effective for them as leaders? I would uh, submit three major things that I think will answer that question. We can drill down on them as you like. The first thing, which is not too different than what I said a minute ago, is create a common goal. Uh, assess the issues and let's understand together as a unit what we need to do to overcome the crisis. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would suggest that we do is, believe it or not, over communicate. Mm -hmm. Now, some will take a, a different tact when it comes to that sort of thing. And they'll say, well, you know, if we say too much, everyone's going to get depressed and maybe even walk out, you know, depending on the situation and so forth. Uh, and it's, I, I prefer to take the other approach and say, you know, let's, let's be as transparent as we possibly can. And if anything, let's, let's say more, let's have regular meetings. Let's discuss how the team is doing and how we're handling the crisis. Now, I understand that there will be some proprietary and highly confidential situations. And certainly I'm not referring to that. But the third thing I would suggest to answer your question is that Let's create a, a dedicated and diverse team that will lead this process. We'll, we'll get through uh, the wilderness into the promised land here together, but we're going to do it uh, with diversity. And, and really, that means everyone from the least experienced and potentially least uh, complicated or technical position to the, to the physicians themselves, again, if we're using a uh, uh, practice as an example here. Those three things will get us through most any crisis. And 
I'd love to drill down more. Maybe we can as we talk a little bit further today on those points. Let's talk specifically about number three, because I think the first two, um, the third one is the one that we have seen in many um, organizations with uh, in the COVID-19 pandemic didn't have a team like you're talking about, this diverse team that could sort of step in. Um, I've worked with some organizations that that had such a team and others that didn't, and the ones that did have exactly what you're talking about, they were prepared, they fared far better um, when everything hit. So tell us how you suggest folks put together such a team now to anticipate the next um, potential crisis out there, whatever that is, natural sure. or otherwise. And I think uh, in this instance, Cheryl, maybe the COVID would actually be a pretty good example because we've all been through this and are still dealing with it, needless to say, even as I speak today, over the last uh, several months, we've, we've all dealt with it. But uh, I would suggest that this team have a fair amount of uh, cross-sectional representation. For example, and again, we'll just continue on the vein of a medical practice, if you don't mind, as yep. an example. Let's say, uh, needless to say, we have physician partners, we have employed physicians. We probably have, in most practices, some sort of employed uh, APP, uh, a mid-level provider, or nurse mm -hmm. practitioner, PA. And then we have uh, the clinical staff. We have the office staff and, and the administrative slash uh, management staff. And there are various levels of leadership there. And, and so the first thing I would recommend is try to get representation on our leadership or crisis team among all of those sectors represent everybody so we really have a truly heterogeneous uh, team of individuals and without question in most practices that's going to be a, a good combination of male female which i think is important and uh hopefully you know certainly uh, ethnicities and, and good representation throughout that whole process. I would say that uh, to get even more specific, we'd probably want at least six people in a given practice. Obviously, if it's tiny, you might not be able to have that many, but most you could. And you want to have a leader, and that's probably gonna be someone from that C-suite or the uh, administrator CEO. It could be one of the physicians, obviously, but you're also going to have and need a clinical leader who may well be a physician or one of the uh, leading nurses as such. In addition, you're probably going to want someone that will represent the uh, administrative uh, practical side, as I call it, of the practice. And sometimes that's front office, sometimes that's back office, as we call it. But someone who's right there every day working into the details of the practice. And then all those together. Uh, that uh, homogeneous uh, uh, group will, uh, with their leadership, will have constant communications that will filter down to the rest of the organization. Now, I'll stop there because I, I know we've got other things to get to, but that's really where I think uh, as a starter, uh, and, and you know that exudes from a good leader, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, someone who's not afraid to say, I need help, and you know what, I want to cross-section, because I value everybody in my group. I, I know in our firm, and again, I hope 
this doesn't sound too uh, old school, but I always say that we're, we're only as good as our people. And all we have to sell to our clients is our brains. And, you know, you, you stop having good people and good brains, then you got nothing in a consulting mm-hmm. business. And, you know, a medical practice and other healthcare entities are not terribly different than that. So I think that's where we should approach this. Get organized, stay organized, communicate, and attack the problem together. Yeah, and I, I think those are really terrific ideas, having this team. I I would imagine that if we're not in a crisis situation, maybe does this team meet quarterly or, you know, they have some way of having a mechanism that they jump in place once something happens and they have to get going. But um, there's, would there be some continuity uh, when we're not in a time of crisis that these folks would at least stay in touch and know that they've got a job to do to mobilize quickly when crisis does happen. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, so many times we only react when we are in a state of alarm or, or crisis and we don't really plan because we tend to think many times, and I'm guilty of this as humans, that, well, you know what, we'll just deal with it when it comes and let's hope to heck that it doesn't ever happen. Well, inevitably, it does. And remember, I define crisis as virtually anything earlier yeah. in our conversation. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, you, you don't want to overdo it. And if things are going pretty well, and I mean, you might be able to uh, bypass uh, a meeting here or there. But yeah, I think keeping it in constant uh, condition, so to speak, uh, is, is a good idea. And certainly we have learned it so much over the last six months with the COVID crisis. And there's a lot of folks that wish they had planned ahead, I assure you. Yeah, well, there's there was a cardiovascular um, services group I worked with, and they, they're large and have a big partnership with the hospital. And um, mm-hmm. they had, had such a team. So they were ready, but what they weren't really ready for COVID. I mean, who was? But one of the things that came out of that team was, a what-if committee. So when they were starting to head toward a surge in their city, they had this what-if group, and they would literally come up with doomsday scenarios, like what if we can't do this? What Then they would come up with something, well, we'll have to do this. You know, it's something we didn't expect. But but they had a team in place that could spin off a committee to just focus on that as things were moving in real time and getting worse and worse. So they were were prepared, just like you say. So, Um, And so we've talked about leadership and what what to do, what not to do, some team things and communication. What about systems? I mean, let's talk about the environment in hospitals and, and practices, mm-hmm. protocols and systems. What is a good environment foundation? Uh, what are the elements of that to support yeah. uh, a team and leaders when something happens and uh, the bottom falls out? What would that look like, the environment, a good one? Well, Thank you for asking that because um, it's a much more fair, to be fair to our health systems and uh, particularly the boards and CEOs, which I've had the privilege of working with now for many, many years across the country. It's a much more complex and quite frankly, varied series of issues and challenges. So let me, let me talk about those just for a moment. Good. And, and I'm putting it a little bit in comparison to, the medical practice as such. First of all, uh, health systems are serving the public 
very visible, should be. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're for or not for profit. And frankly, I, I don't see a big difference in this regard, depending uh, between the two. They have a mission. It is to serve the public and they're very visible. Let's face it, they're in the media. They're in the market. They're exposed. They've got people doing uh, ads and, or excuse me, uh, uh, special reports and so forth from the media and all well should be that comes with the territory so first of all the crisis that they're dealing with uh has got to be handled with that in mind uh, let's take for example god forbid uh but it happens where a health system has had a very unfortunate situation where uh, a death occurred to a patient it was very public and very visible uh, I'm actually thinking of a client, which of course I will not name, where not too long ago they had a uh, situation where they had an unfortunate incident and a, a death occurred in the, uh, in their emergency department. And uh, needless to say, as well, it should have been, it was reported in the news and so forth. And it, it was really uh, a very visible situation. So how to deal with those sorts of things? Well, first of all, once again, I go back to the, the earlier example. I think you have to de develop and probably a larger crisis management team for things like that, but you've got to be able to address the public and the exposure there with honesty and forthrightness. Now, there's always the issue of, well, how much should we admit and that sort of thing, but we'll get into that. But really invoke your entire uh, leadership team that you form and in this case, probably a little bit more involved with your C-suite, your fellow leaders, and depending on the situation, of course, even the board of directors. So it truly takes on a much higher profile. The other thing that a health system will need to really have, uh, really have to monitor is the financial challenges that will result. They, uh, unlike what maybe some folks believe not every hospital is just flush with reserves of cash and, and money's available. In fact, many hospitals in more rural areas uh, have very little excess reserves. Mm -hmm. And so they're not this endless trough of funds that they have to deal with a crisis. And many times they're, they're looking at significant downturns in their uh, ability to generate revenue and all, obviously uh, uh, excess reserves. So financial challenges is yet another situation that could be exposed to the media as well, needless to say, depending on the situation. Another would be the, uh, the ethical uh, situations surrounding uh, many uh, hospitals, as you know, are faith-based, and so you have that, those issues, mm -hmm. and just overall, you have the issues of what should we do from an ethical standpoint? Uh, do we open up, uh, as many hospitals did, by the way, during the COVID, literally units and excess units that they really didn't have the financial wherewithal to support, much less the staff, uh, and, and deal with the patients that were needed to be dealt with in a very uncertain environment. Uh, another issue that hospitals and health systems have to deal with is staffing and personnel. Personnel is uh, 
obviously the single greatest asset of any health system, but is also the single most desired and and needed one. Mm -hmm. And whether it's nurses, doctors, or janitors, it doesn't matter. Uh, all these folks have to come together, and and during a time of crisis, uh, you know, it's hard to keep good staff intact. If you don't believe me, just check on some of the dearth of uh, personnel that the hospitals experienced during the recent COVID yes, environment. Yes. So all of these things, Cheryl, are front and center for hospitals with, for the most part, uh, pretty much uh, complete uh, exposure, nakedness, if you will, uh, to the public uh, because of the way they're set up and, and run. Uh, and, and so uh, really handling a crisis for a hospital CEO and board uh, is just a, a, a daunting task and really requires, going back to my other point, a solid team and, uh, you know, crisis management approach uh, and good uh, preparedness for the inevitable crisis. I'll stop there, but hopefully that helped answer your question. No, those are all terrific points. And so, um, Max, I wanted to ask you, as people as physician leaders are preparing their people and the organization to anticipate the next crisis, because we know there always will be another one, um, big or small. Is there a way to bake that into the culture, this idea that we're going to be ready for the next one? I believe there is, but Cheryl, I think you have to be careful there too, because we don't want to take a, a woe is me, you know, when's the next crisis going to happen attitude either. I don't, personally think we should go through life that way, but your point is, is yet extremely valid. So yes, we should not have our figurative hand, uh, head in the sand either. We should train, we should prepare with specific um, duties and responsibilities within whatever organization it is, including say a medical practice or a hospital health system. We should even get down to some very, very tangible things because some crises are created by weather, mm -hmm. uh, acts of God, if you will. And so uh, flooding, et cetera, 9-11 uh, uh, was a tremendous example where preparedness was needed. Uh, overall, I think it was done pretty well. Uh, uh, was certainly no pre-planning for something that catastrophic. Right. So I think I think you have to assign specific responsibilities. You have to train within your departments for crises of various uh, forms and fashions, including things like I just said, weather and, and other uh, events. And then uh, you really have to, uh, in some respects, enact them. And and uh, I don't want to necessarily say relive, but you have to um, practice uh, how you're going to deal with these. And so uh, many readiness, uh, crisis readiness teams are formed, and then we'll actually go through some enactments of how they would deal with these things. This is very common, of course, for hospitals who are faced with, uh, you know, crazy things like shootings. I'm a big believer of practice. Uh, and I think in order to get good, you have to practice. And so I think you, there needs to be organization, there needs to be team, team leaders, designated training, 
uh, even down to, in many cases, you know, the uh, crisis uh, event type training where something, uh, a specific event, again, it could be a catastrophic uh, weather event or, or something else. And all those things prepare the organization for uh, how best to handle these things. So we avert panic. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we want to avert is a sense of panic and, and helplessness during crisis. Yeah. And we, uh, we want to avert that and we want to have all these plans, but the truth is so often we can plan to the, till the cows come home and yet things are different when we try to execute. Right. So Sure. Let's talk about lessons learned after something happens, after a 9-11, after uh, a hurricane, after three mm-hmm. of your key staff leave, you know, abruptly. Um, right. After things calm down and people have a chance to reflect and think about what they learned and what they change, how do you advise that physicians do this and how they analyze the learnings and and, and uh, make changes based on them? What are your recommendations for that? Sure. Great question. Um, well, first thing I would recommend is complete and total honesty. And what I mean by that is you debrief and you reflect back on how you dealt with the crisis. Uh, what were the things you did well? What were the things you didn't do so well? And when I say you, I'm talking about the whole team, whole organization, but particularly from the leadership down. So evaluate and critique and then obviously learn from it. Uh, we can kick ourselves all day long for something we didn't do well. Let's say we didn't prepare, we weren't ready, and we didn't do very well, but hey, let's learn from it. Let's admit our mistakes in this regard. Let's hope to goodness that we uh, dealt with it in the, in the sense that it wasn't totally catastrophic. And then let's apply it going forward so that next particular crisis event, we do much, much better. And it's, it's not a difficult, well, it's not a, uh, an uncomplicated formula. It's difficult to, to make it happen, Cheryl. But I believe that that's really the, the simplistic answer is that you be honest and look back, critique yourself, and then uh, cite examples of how we could have done better. And then by George, uh, make it happen the next time, you know, have, have a preparedness ready, uh, team ready and, and do all the things we talked about earlier, because uh, most likely you'll, you'll have that next crisis. Hopefully it won't be another 9-11 or even a hurricane, but, but you'll have something. Well, and any stories you might share from clients that have uh, weathered the storm, if you will, and then made yeah. some changes and what they learned? Yeah, we, we have had uh, any number. I said earlier in our conversation that it seems like about half of our assignments are somehow crisis-oriented, yeah. and again, that you can define that different ways. But but we've had instances where, for example, um, uh, I'll just use a recent one, and obviously name, you, it'll, it shall be nameless, but, but we had a situation where um, a large group with a surgery center uh, was really faced with a complete and total shutdown during the COVID because uh, no elective surgeries. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a reasonable situation. It was what was best for the community. Now, this is a for-profit uh, private entity, not a hospital in this case. And so uh, one of the things that they had done to prepare for uh, this event was in their agreement 
with the anesthesiology services that they used in their surgery center. So obviously every surgeon needs an anesthesiologist pretty much. Mm -hmm. uh, they had built in a, uh, what's called a force majeure clause. And I'm sure you've heard of these, but essentially they uh, protect the contracting entity. So in this case was the group with the supplier of the services, which was the anesthesiologist, to essentially lower and protect them from having to pay a guaranteed fixed rate because they were doing no services. So now that's a, a business answer to your question. And you may or may not have been looking for that, uh, that example, but I hope it's relevant because as simple as having that section in their contract that allowed for a reduction, albeit an elimination of their responsibility for payment of a fixed monthly fee, regardless of how many surgeries you do, protected that group from literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of additional cost under the circumstances where they were generating no revenue. So that's a business strategy. Yeah, so now, they, thought, they thought ahead then to yeah. say, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the event that we can't perform surgeries, we're not on the hook to be paying that's the right. anesthesiologist right. any, any fixed amount, which is very smart. I wanted to give that example because we've talked so much today and rightfully so about uh, the and again, rightfully so, the people side of handling crisis, but there is a business side of this too. So Absolutely. I wanted to use that as an example. Absolutely. Um, no, I think it was, I think it's a great example because it really indicates that somebody thought ahead, in this case, maybe the attorney who was doing the contract, I don't know, mm -hmm. um, to do that and make sure that they were protected in the event that something were to happen and business was interrupted from some external circumstances so that's Absolutely. very relevant mm -hmm. if um you were to uh, suggest to doctors physician leaders out there how they could fine-tune their skills in this area in crisis management so they can prepare better so they can lead better any thoughts on their on skill building or educational opportunities mm -hmm. how would you suggest physician leaders educate themselves further there's a lot of uh, written material. Needless to say, today you can, some of the times when you surf the internet, you get, most of the time, you get pretty good, reliable uh, information. And uh, that's obviously a, a natural. So, as simple as it may sound, it would really bode well for all leaders, physician or otherwise, to brush up uh, on these things by reading doing some research, maybe having their staff help them gather some, some information. And then again, I'll, I'll go back to our crisis management team that I talked about earlier in the practice setting or the hospital. Let's share it. Let's have some lunch and learns. Mm -hmm. Bring in some outside parties who have either experienced it or do it for a living to work with crisis management. Let's uh, take this somewhat seriously uh, and I'm not saying we haven't been serious. That's why I said somewhat. And, and then let's, again, not just, you know, brush our, our collective brows and say, well, we got through that one. You know, that's great. And do nothing else about it. Let's do something. And uh, as simple as these things are, they work. And I don't know any other way to do it. Uh, I'm sure there are classes and there will be more 
and more training post-COVID. But really and truly, whether you choose to go that route or just simply do your own research, gather your own information, your team together and say concentrated on making sure that the next time this happens, you, you're prepared or at least better prepared. Fantastic. Moving us toward the exit, Max, if there are two things you wanted every physician leader to remember about crisis management, what would those be? A little bit redundant, but I think they're worth repeating, uh, Cheryl. The first thing I would, for specific to your question, you said physician leaders, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna get real specific there. I think the first thing is don't try to do it all yourself. And, and or maybe you and your fellow physicians. Uh, utilize your, your full staff, your full team, and who knows, you might even have to go to outside help at times too. So that's number one. Number two, I would say that uh, organization and throughput within your, your organization, your, your practice mm -hmm. is absolutely essential. And that's kind of related to number one about not doing it all yourself. But I really want to take it a little bit further and say that you really delegate and make sure that, um, you know, this crisis management is taken seriously going forward and that as a leader, you've, uh, you've addressed it as best you can. And then uh, maybe 2A, I'll just, if you don't mind, Absolutely. I'll say, uh, stay nimble, stay flexible in the process, uh, you know, different uh, situations, albeit different crises, may demand different, uh, somewhat different uh, approaches and answers. I, I don't take back anything that I've said so far relative to overall organization and structure, but we all know that certain crises, uh, uh, well, frankly, some crises we create ourselves. It's kind of our own fault. Uh, I won't give you very many examples, but I'm sure we've all seen them where we're sometimes our worst enemy in, in some of the things we do. And, and so, you know, you gotta, you gotta deal with that uh, in and of itself, maybe a little differently than you would if it was a recovering from a hurricane or a tornado. So uh, those would be the main things that at this point I would suggest that we uh, keep in mind. Excellent. Well put, great note to end on. Max Reibolt, thank you so much, President and CEO of the Coker Group. We're so glad to have you again as our guest on Sound Practice. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Cheryl. Wow, nice conversation, Tothi. Max made a number of wise observations and great, great points. Really good experience. He did. And Mike, I think that Max has observed just about every type of crisis with his clients over the years. So his experience really makes him, I don't know, quite the master at helping leaders prepare for these crisis situations. Oh, agreed. And you know what, Tothi, we should remind people that the AAPL has a crisis leadership resource center on the website. That website's physicianleaders.org. Uh, there's some great material there for educating yourself and, and your team. Yeah, and speaking of that, you know, Max mentioned in our interview about skill building and with your team through lunch and learns and things like that, but he is also delivering a AAPL course on the topic of crisis leadership and management. It's a 10 CME day and a half course called Physician Leadership in Times of Crisis, and that's being offered October 30th and 31st. So a link for more information about that is in the show notes. Excellent. Well, Tothi, that's it for this episode of Sound Practice. If you haven't subscribed uh, to the podcast yet, I certainly hope that you will. 
Yes, and we hope you, dear listeners, will please take a moment to rate or review us um, on your podcast app. And don't forget to refer a colleague to us. Uh, that is, if you like the show. If you didn't like the show, then just be quiet. <laughs> well, who doesn't like our show, Mike? <clears throat> What's not to like? Of course, you can also send us feedback directly to feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. Please join us for the next episode of Sound Practice. We release one every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Robin, Rick Kapow.